This is the Sideline Disney Podcast coming to you from iTunes, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Twitter. You can follow me at the Brad Whitaker. I'm Bradley Whitaker. Lots of great football this week and lots of great NFL action last night. Lots of great college football on Saturday, too. And of course, who could forget about UFC 205? Conor McGregor defeated Eddie Alvarez. I'll get to that fight in a minute. Also, great Sunday night football game last night. Super Bowl 49 rematch. Potential Super Bowl 51 preview. I'll get to that in a minute as well. But first, the Dallas Cowboys. Eight straight. The Dallas Cowboys have won eight in a row for the first time since 1977. Dallas beat Pittsburgh 35-30 to yesterday in a game that had seven lead changes, including three in the final two minutes. Now, Dallas, uh, they, they certainly deserve to win that game, especially the way Pittsburgh's defense was playing. In fact, Pittsburgh's defense let Dallas score in the final two minutes, and just so they could get the ball back and score a touchdown with barely any time left on the clock, which is what Pittsburgh did, except they went right down the field and scored and left 42 seconds on the clock, and Dallas still had three timeouts. That was more than enough time for Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott in that offensive line to move downfield in just 42 seconds. They didn't even have to kick a field goal. They went in there and ran it in with Zeke. Cowboys now 8-1, and one. again, winners of eight in a row, first time since 1977. I think it's safe to say Dak Prescott is going to keep his starting job. Now again, he loses one game. He has the smallest margin for error, but he's been perfect so far, other than, of course, the first game of the season. And you can't replace him, even, even if Dak does have a couple bad games, because it's nearly impossible to recreate that chemistry between Dak and Zeke. You know, it's easy to forget that both players are rookies. You know, I, you can't, you know, what are some great ro- rookies right now? Carson Wentz, he, he doesn't look as good as Dak. Certainly Wentz looked great in the first two to three weeks of the season, so did Jimmy Garoppolo. But Dak has stayed consistent, and so have the Cowboys. And I'm willing to go as far to say that if you have to pick an MVP right now, it probably comes down to Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know who else is in the conversation. Matt Ryan? Matt Stafford? Tom Brady should be in the conversation, but he does have that four-game handicap. Now, if Brady is even close to being one of the best quarterbacks statistically he deserves he deserves the MVP after missing those first four games but Ezekiel Elliott right now he has nine touchdowns and over a thousand yards nine games through the season he's going to break all the rookie records and if I had to pick an MVP right now certainly Dak's been great but Elliott's been even better and People thought the Cowboys were crazy picking a running back in the first round. And that is a crazy decision to make. You shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't draft a running back until the fifth round or later. You can certainly get better value, especially if you can pick up an undrafted free agent. But, because the Cowboys already had that offensive line built, Elliott was perfect to join that team, and you know, people expected him to be great. If you play fantasy football, especially on ESPN, you would have noticed that Elliott was ranked in 
the top five running backs, which I personally thought was generous for a rookie. I, you know, I didn't want to draft him in my fantasy league. I hadn't seen Elliott play in the NFL level, and you know the Cowboys. They've been incredibly dysfunctional these last few seasons. Uh, but Elliott has stepped up, so is Dak. And, you know, you can't put Romo back out there because Dak can run. Uh, he doesn't run all the time. He's a great pocket quarterback. He gets rid of the ball quickly. But that offensive line is built for the run. And when you hand the ball off to Elliott as much as the Cowboys do, that opens up the pass a lot, especially those short passes to Witten and Beasley that uh, Dak is throwing flawlessly. Almost almost looks like Tom Brady when he was a rookie. Now, a Dak is a sh- or not a rookie, a second-year quarterback. That's when Brady took over. But Dak is a stronger quarterback than Brady was, certainly more athletic than he was. And he's he doesn't make too many mistakes. He keeps his throws within 5 to 15 yards most of the time. Rarely throws downfield, which is what Romo is great at. Now, if if you're in the final seconds of the game and you're down by 5 points and you're on the you're on your own 30-yard line, it might be worth putting Tony Romo in the game just to throw a Hail Mary. That makes a lot of sense, but you know, you can't take away Dak's job at this point. You just can't. And, you know, Romo Romo could step in and probably be a great quarterback. You know, if Dak goes down, the Cowboys are still one of the best teams in the NFC, and in all likelihood, they're going to have home field advantage throughout the postseason. But at some point, Romo wasn't wearing pads on the sideline yesterday. He's been practicing. But at some point, the Cowboys have to put him on the sideline in pads and say, this is our backup quarterback. And until they're ready to do that, this conversation is only going to enhance more and more. Especially if Dak loses. But, you know, the Cowboys were the underdog going into Pittsburgh yesterday. Las Vegas gave the Steelers two and a half points on Dallas. And it made a lot of sense when you actually watched the game. Big Ben, whenever he comes back from injury, he always struggles in the first game and then bounces back in the second. They Pittsburgh always rushes Big Ben back and he had he threw for over 400 yards Pittsburgh offense was Pittsburgh's offense was not the problem on Sunday Big Ben wasn't the problem Antonio Brown Le'Veon Bell had a great game none of those players were the problem when you give a quarterback 42 seconds it doesn't matter how many timeouts he has your defense should be able to make the stop And the Cowboys made it downfield almost effortlessly. Sure, there was a face mask penalty that got them closer, but they were already in field goal range. And, of course, Elliott ran it into the end zone. They didn't even need a field goal. Won the game in the final seconds. You have to like what Dallas is doing. Unfortunately, their defense, a little concerning. A little bit concerning. Dallas has a ways to go. They have to improve that defense, but... I would trust Dallas's offense over any offense in the NFL right now, even over the New England Patriots, which I can't even believe I'm saying. Last night, uh, 31-24 to the Seattle Seahawks. Great game, and 
you know, I like I said, if I have to hand out the MVP award right now, I'm giving it to Ezekiel Elliott. That being said, I am not encouraged by the Cowboys win the NFC, at least as much as I was last week, because, not because of what they did against Pittsburgh yesterday, but because what Seattle did in Foxborough. Incredible victory for the Seahawks. Coming off on short rest. On short rest. Remember, they played a Monday night game and won. A close Monday night game against the Buffalo Bills. They lost that game. Or, they won that game, excuse me. They <laughs> Buffalo won that, uh, lost that game, but Seattle, short rest, six days. Not only did they prove they could beat the Patriots, they proved they could win on the road and score against a solid defense. Now, I don't want to give the Patriots' defense too many compliments. They they are a fixer-upper at this point, especially after getting rid of Jamie Collins. And certainly New England could have used Collins yesterday. They were running a lot of zone defense, and they needed athletic players to be able to read the field a little better, especially with Russell Wilson extending plays the way he did. But the Seahawks' last two road games, two weeks ago, they were at New Orleans. They lost... 25 to 20. Only was they only were able to score 20 points in the Superdome on that atrocious New Orleans defense. And then the week before that, which was three weeks ago, they were on the road in Arizona. You probably remember that game. That was a six to six tie. So the Seahawks bounce back. They bounced back last week with a 31-25 victory over Buffalo. But winning in Foxborough is not easy to do. I I think we all know that. Seattle's trouble's been consistency all year, and, you know, last year, they weren't able to make it too far in the postseason, but they stumbled a lot out of the gate, and then they slowly got things together. I think we're seeing the same thing from the Seahawks again this season, only the only difference is they didn't stumble as badly out of the gate. But their defense, obviously, for the last three or four seasons, they've been the most physical defense in the league. And we know that because Pete Carroll is the most aggressive coach in the league, and that's what makes it so hard to officiate against a team like Seattle is because they're so physical that, you know, referees have to kind of pick and choose the penalties they're going to call. And as we've seen from players like Richard Sherman, you know, last week he he got a lot of flack for running into the kicker, but <laughs> you look on Twitter and it was a perfectly legal play from Richard Sherman. He put his hand on the ball, and then he ran into the kicker. Perfectly legal. Not only are they physical, they are borderline illegal. They are just in that border between a legal play and an illegal play on every single play. But they're smart that they're able to walk that fine line. And referees don't know what to do with it. And I think that's part of the reason we didn't see a call on the final play of the game. was It was Gronk up against Chancellor, and... Uh, You could have argued either player pushed off each other, but it was probably a smart no-call. You know, Gronk still had a chance to go up and get that football. It was a solid defensive play by Chancellor at the end of a physical game. And, you know, for for a team like the Patriots, this is the kind of loss you want to have in the middle of the season. I know you don't want to lose any game, but if you're going to lose a game, you need to lose it at home against one of the best teams. Because then if you face that team later down the road... You have some adversity to climb. We all know New England responds to adversity. But I've spent a lot of time talking about Seattle's defense, and and they were great. They held the New England offense to just 24 points. Uh, Tom Brady, strong opening drive. He had a couple other impressive drives. But for the most part, Seattle's defense did a great job at confusing them. And 
Russell Wilson kept the ball moving on offense, on the offensive end. And perhaps the biggest improvement we saw from the Seahawks this week is their young offensive line. It was interesting, uh, the Patriots and the Seahawks are two teams that really don't spend any money on their offensive line. Uh, Patriots... Patriots have Nate Solder. I, I'm looking it up right now. I don't know what his contract is. Uh, yeah, Nate Solder has, an, has a pretty large contract. Two years, $20 million. That being said, all the other players are young. They've been drafted in the last two to three years. It's the same thing with the Seahawks, except they're even younger. They put even less money toward their offensive line. And, and what we saw, certainly the Patriots' pass rush isn't what it used to be before they traded Jamie Collins. But looking at what Seattle was able to do yesterday, they were able to buy time for Wilson, and Wilson didn't do a great job at getting the pass off quickly. He's got a quick release, probably even quicker than Brady's release, uh, because Brady throws it up top so high. But because Seattle's offensive offensive line play stepped up so much yesterday, Wilson was able to extend those plays, take advantage of New England's zone defense, which only expands. We heard Chris Collinsworth talk about this yesterday. A zone defense, the longer the play goes on, the more that defense expands and you find positions, positioning at least within 10 to 15 yards. And Russell Wilson was able to roll out of the pocket or buy time in the pocket and extend a lot of those plays because of his offensive line. Had that offensive line played the way they did against New Orleans uh, or uh, Arizona, New England would have won that game. They would have won it by a lot. Very impressed with the Seahawks. Uh, They have a road to climb if they want to get home field advantage in the NFC. Right now, they're certainly the favorite in the NFC West. Probably won't catch the Cowboys because Dallas has a fairly easy schedule the rest of the way. But, again, Seattle proved they can win at home in perhaps the toughest environment to win on the road in the NFL in Foxborough. And if Seattle can win that game, they can certainly go into Dallas and win. Uh, They have the experience. Dak and Zeke are young. They got that great offensive line. But I think that's what it's going to come down to in the NFC. You know, there's been a lot of mediocre teams. We said the Vikings were the team to beat early in the season. They lost a couple tackles. That offensive line isn't the same, although it looked a little bit better this week. I just don't see anyone getting past either the Cowboys or the Seahawks. But Seahawks, it doesn't matter if they're at home or on the road. They're going to compete with whomever they're playing. And a big road win in Foxborough says a lot about this team. This is Good football teams get better the more the season progresses. And Seattle really made a big step this past week. Uh, If I had to pick a Super Bowl contender, if I had to pick the Super Bowl right now, I would pick the Patriots and the Seahawks. I really would. Not saying the Cowboys can't do it. The Cowboys certainly can, but I would pick the Patriots and the Seahawks. In fact, I think the Patriots have a tougher road to climb because there's three great teams in the AFC West that they could potentially have to face in the postseason. And the Seahawks, they can beat anyone except for maybe Dallas. It's going to be close against the Cowboys. I think that'll set up for a great NFC championship, but... It's clear there's two top-tier teams in the NFC, and in the AFC, there's three great teams in the West and the Patriots. So, you know, as always, it comes down to, you know, five or six teams 
in the Super Bowl every year. There's five or six safe picks. Luckily, the picks are a little bit different this year, so it should be a pretty fascinating playoff. I'm looking forward to it. was the Saturday, and, uh, you know, I was not optimistic about Conor McGregor heading in. Uh, I thought Eddie Alvarez was going to be a trap for him. You know, I I thought of it much the same way I thought about Nate Diaz. You know, Eddie can go five rounds. He's a big guy. Look at his shoulders. He's huge. And Conor, I must say, he looked in better shape heading into 205 than he did against Nate Diaz in 202. Conor looked like he was built for endurance, like he was fighting Nate again. And obviously that first uh, fight from Conor McGregor against Nate Diaz, which was at uh, the welterweight division, uh, Conor didn't have any any energy. He was out after the first round. He couldn't, he couldn't breathe properly, and that's why Nate was able to win pretty easily in that first fight. And Conor held on in the last fight to win by a unanimous decision against Nate. Nate Diaz... You know, he doesn't always win, but man, he has a chin. He can take punches like no other. And I thought we were going to see the same from Eddie Alvarez. That's why I thought this was a tough matchup for Conor McGregor heading in. But Eddie didn't show up. He used his energy way too early, like Conor did against Nate the first time. In fact, Eddie's punches looked predictable. And, you know, I you should listen to someone like Joe Rogan analyze this. I don't know my mixed martial arts. But... Eddie Alvarez, he was he was bouncing around like he was Muhammad Ali out there. Now, I mean that's a compliment to a lot of people, but Connor Connor was just balanced. He wasn't bouncing around. He looked calm. He kept his legs apart like he does, which is is great for a fighter like him because he has such a long reach and he's so quick. Uh, so it's almost as if Eddie was moving around and he had this certain rhythm that made his punches seem so predictable, and Connor had no trouble facing it. Certainly, he got clocked a few times, but Eddie didn't see any of Connor's punches coming. Connor, won, uh, if, you, if you didn't watch the fight, uh, Connor won by TKO in the second round, and now he has the featherweight belt and the lightweight belt, the first UFC fighter ever to hold the championship in two weight classes. And... And also, Connor has fought at three weight classes. The last two fights against Nate were at welterweight. So, Connor now has the featherweight belt, the lightweight belt, and he has experience at the welterweight level. Now, I don't think Connor is a featherweight. He has to cut a lot of weight to get to 145 pounds. He's a big guy to weigh just 145 pounds in the octagon. He looked more like himself at 155, and that's probably his ideal weight. And you saw it. You saw it against Eddie. Eddie was bouncing around. You could almost time his punches. Connor stood still. He wasn't. He wasn't jumping around like Muhammad Ali out there. His he was staying on his toes, but he was staying flat. And when I, when I when this fight started, I said Connor looks flat out there. I don't know if he's going to win this fight. He just he looks off balance a little bit. He's just flat. But I think that's part of what makes Connor such a great fighter. Is that you don't really expect his punches coming, and because he's so quick, and he has so much power for his lanky size, 
fighters don't see it coming. So now the question is, what does Conor McGregor do next? Does he defend the featherweight belt? Does he defend the lightweight belt? Is he going to have to give up one of the belts? There's been a little bit of a conflict between Conor and uh, President Dana White over that. Although I, I don't know if it's real. I think it's just to build the drama up a little bit. But the question is, who's Conor going to fight next? I've created a list of who I think the, the potential opponents could be. Obviously, if he does go back down to defend the featherweight belt, Ho- Jose Aldo is the fighter. He's the person to go against. Obviously, weight cutting could be an issue. I think Conor's more comfortable at 155. Uh, but Aldo wants that rematch. He's been talking shit for a while. But does Conor really want to go back down to 145? The weight cutting is one thing. But Conor beat Aldo in 13 seconds. He threw one punch, and that was it. Certainly, Aldo was caught off guard. Conor got into his head a little bit before the fight began. But if I were Conor, I might just give up that featherweight belt. Just say, look, it was fun. I proved I can beat all these smaller fighters in the featherweight division. I'm going to stay here at lightweight. I might even go up to welterweight. Now, it's a completely different ballgame at welterweight. But if Conor does stay a lightweight, who does he fight against? The fighter, if you know anything about UFC, the fighter everyone wants to see is Khabib Nurmagomedov. His wrestling, it's funny. Whenever Khabib goes up in a fight, they'll say, all right, this is the kind of fighter that can handle Khabib's wrestling. He had no trouble. Khabib easily won uh, on uh, Saturday night. What did he win? In the third round? And the fight was, you knew the fight was over in the first round. Defeated Michael Johnson, won by submission, yep, in the third round, 231 was the time. I think that's the fight for Connor, and like I said, Connor, he doesn't move around a lot, but then when he punches, when he jabs, it's quick, and you don't see it coming. It's kind of the same with Khabib, except he wrestles, and he goes for the midsection, and You know, Michael Johnson had no answer. Michael Johnson is a quick fighter. He could not get out of the way of Khabib to save his life. Now, the other fighter, which I think is probably more likely that Conor could face, is Tony Ferguson. If not Tony Ferguson, if not Khabib, then it could be Rafael Dos Anjos. But Dos Anjos, he backed out from injury. He was supposed to fight Connor at 155 after he beat Aldo. That was the fight Nate Diaz actually filled in for. So I think those are the three fighters you could see Connor go up against if he's in the lightweight division. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson, or Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, but I don't want to predict what Connor is going to do. I, we all thought he should have never fought Nate Diaz again after losing. He clearly, that was a mismatch. Even when Connor was able to have the time to put on the weight, put on the muscle, he just barely beat Nate. He got lucky with a second win in that rematch. So if Connor does dare to go up to the welterweight division, which he might do as a publicity stunt simply because having a fighter hold three belts at three different weight divisions would be unbelievable. You, holding a belt at 145 and holding it at 170 pounds, that's an extremely different style of fighting. Now, I, I don't say, I'm not saying McGregor can't win at the welterweight level. 
Well, let's look at the fighters he'd be going up against. Obviously, the fighter everyone has in mind is Tyrone Woodley. He defeated Wonderboy Thompson this Saturday. That was a great fight. I don't know how Thompson was able to hold in. Uh, Woodley won by unanimous decision uh, through five. Or was it split decision? It was one of the two. But he won in five rounds. Wonderboy should have been knocked out early, but he stayed in. Or he should have lost by submission. Uh, that That's going to be a rematch. Na- uh, Dana White's already come out and said... Woodley and Thompson are likely to face off again. So if you're hoping for Connor to jump back up to 170 and face Woodley for the belt, you're probably going to have to wait because he's going to face Wonderboy Thompson one more time. Now something that could be intriguing, we've been talking about a rematch with Nate Diaz. Connor wants to fight Nate at 155. He said that. They split at 170. So it's possible Nate put up two strong performances against Connor. Connor now has the belt at 155. Perhaps we could see Nate in the next fight against Connor again. That means three out of Connor's last four fights would be against Nate Diaz. But this would be for the championship and uh, best out of three because they, they split the first two fights, obviously. If not Nate Diaz at 170 <clears throat> and Nate D- he does decide to fight Nate Diaz, it'll likely be at 155. Now, just two other fighters, which I don't think would happen... At 170, Conor McGregor could face Nick Diaz, Nate's brother, or Georgia St. Pierre. I think he should stay the hell away from both fighters, in my opinion. But Conor, he loves competition. He goes up against the best. But I think he is running away from Khabib a little bit. That would certainly be his biggest challenge. Tyrone Woodley might be his biggest challenge because of the size difference. But I personally... Would love to see Connor give up the featherweight belt. Fight Khabib, who is 24-0. He's earned this title fight. You know, the only reason Khabib wasn't able to fight for the lightweight belt at 205 was because Dana made a business decision that he was going to put the most popular card ever in New York City at Madison Square Garden. And he wanted Conor McGregor to go for that fight, and Khabib was kind of put off to the side, and he was pissed after he won his fight. He said he wanted to fight Conor. Now, Conor has said he's concerned about Khabib flaking if they do fight. Khabib pulled out of two fights over the last two years, and he didn't fight between April 2014 and April 2016, so it was exactly 24 months that he didn't have a fight. But he's fought two fights since then, and he's dominated both. He beat Horcher, and of course he beat Michael Johnson on Saturday. So that should be enough right there for Connor to say, look, he was 22-0 on April 2014. Here we are in November of 2016, and Khabib's 24-0. You have to give Khabib that fight. Now, if I were Dana White, thinking from a business standpoint, people still don't know who... Khabib Nurmagomedov is because his name is Khabib Nurmagomedov Russian uh, fighters you see this in boxing all the time they tend to fly under the radar you know Vladimir Klitschko how long did he hold the heavyweight belt in boxing or the heavyweight title how long did Klitschko hold that belt and nobody even knew who he was and that's that's a shame with Russian fighters and this is perhaps the best mixed martial artist we've ever seen. Khabib Nurmagomedov is arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in UFC. It could be Demetrius Johnson, but I think it's Khabib. 
if I were to make a prediction, I would say Connor is going to avoid Khabib one more time, fight either Ferguson or Dos Anjos at 155, and probably have to give up that featherweight belt. And I think it might be in the UFC's best interest to wait at least one more fight before Khabib faces Connor. But that fight has to happen. Connor has to fight Khabib. We all need to see who the best fighter is. And 155, many will argue, is the toughest division in the UFC. I think it's 170 at welterweight, which Connor might go for as well. But Khabib at 155, that would set up for a heck of a title fight at lightweight. Of course, Connor fought four times this year, and he might take some time off. Four fights in 11 months, he has a baby on the way. It's possible we don't see Connor fight until, you know, April of next year. But that's the fight we need to see. That's the fight we've all been waiting for. Connor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov. I hope it happens. I hope they get this thing scheduled right away, and I hope if it happens, Khabib doesn't flake like Connor's worried he will. But Connor might be saying that because he's scared. I don't want to say Connor's scared, but he might be because this is the kind of fighter like Floyd Mayweather that could go his entire career without losing. And unlike Mayweather, Khabib has been very selective. He hasn't been selective about who he's going to fight. He beat Dos Anjos. I think he can beat Connor, but I wouldn't put anything anything past Connor McGregor. I wouldn't be surprised if he went up to 170 and tried to get that third belt. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens here, but don't expect the Conor Khabib fight to happen next, because from a business standpoint, that might not be the best choice for Dana White and the rest of the UFC. today's show it sounds like the hello moto music that's it for today's show i'll be back tomorrow uh probably talk a little bit of basketball maybe a little bit more football lots of great football this weekend not enough time to get through everything that happened but please let's see connor and khabib fight i hope it happens uh, if you're watching this on youtube be sure to subscribe uh follow on itunes do all that jazz follow me on twitter at the brad Whitaker. Uh, And until the next podcast, goodbye.